Okay, hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast in English, of course, exclusively dedicated, although not so exclusively today, to the grandest competition in South American club football, the Copa Libertadores. But on this uh, special edition of the podcast, Ollie, we usually stick to the Copa Libertadores because it is the, the, the tournament that absolutely dominates the conversations in the bars and the taxis uh, in, in, in South America. However, we're just going to nudge slightly a little bit further down the football hipster tunnel because we're talking today about the Copa Sudamericana, which is the second, uh, the second biggest tournament in club football in South America. And we're at the final, and it's Lanús against Defensa Justicia, two Argentine sides. We had a really good chit-chat, actually. Oli's been covering this tournament extensively uh, through different outlets, and we also had a chat with Peter Coates, who, who's our man in Argentina. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, it was interesting, Oli, to talk about the significance of the tournament, to talk about what these two sides represent, and to talk about the final itself. Well, I've tried to shoehorn it into as many of our Copa Libertadores podcasts as I've, uh, as I've been able to get some sort of Sudamericana reference in there every so often. Uh, so it was nice to um, yeah to have a little look, albeit a slightly scatterbrained look at it every so often. I, I've definitely felt I was bouncing around because there's a lot to talk about. And we were trying to keep this fairly streamlined as a podcast. We didn't want to go full Libertadores with an hour of analysis and build up like we probably will end up having for the Copa Libertadores final podcast preview that we do later on. Um, Got to thank Peter Coates uh, for giving us a two and a half minute concise breakdown of what he felt were the pros and cons of both these two sides and, and a little bit in the history of them. Um, I hope we were able to add and provide some information to and around that. Uh, but just in general, it's a great tournament. I still... I still really love it. I'd rather watch Copper Sudamericana football than a Europa League game. Beautiful. I feel more I invested. Ollie, we're you know we're doing a little bit as well to promote the competition. And uh, there's not a there's not a a stream of European outlets desperate to give the Copper Sudamericana the, the the dignity and the profile that it deserves. So here on the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast, we're certainly doing our bit. Listen, if the Libertadores is too hipster for you, then you're not going to enjoy this one. Otherwise, <laughs> enjoy the pod. <laughs> Sit back, put a fedora on, and enjoy the podcast. <laughs> of first tonight as we bring you the final of the 18th edition of the Commibol Sudamericana. Pools of water start to build up. Floating it into the box and it's into the back of the net. Independiente del Valle won't be beaten by the elements and they are first on the scoreboard. Sanchez into the 18-yard box. Oh, he's tucked it away. Nodded down and into the back of the net. Oliveira, game on. It away, Independiente del Valle have weathered the storm. Well, where do you want to start? Welcome well, to the murky depths of the Commonwealth of Americana. <laughs> I wanted to start actually, Oli, in a way that you wouldn't normally start a football podcast because you kind of assume knowledge. And if you're talking about something to do with football, generally speaking, anyone that's listening has a, a decent grip over what you're talking about before they even start. But the Copa Sudamericana, I think it's fair to say, certainly for European audience, it doesn't really transcend South America. And I was actually going to ask you, when you as a football fan, who grew up predominantly with European football... And, an, you know, a kind of an idea of football in maybe North and South America. When was the first time you could remember hearing about 
the Copper Suit Americana. Because I remember... I have a faint recognition of it. And then I remember that we both worked for a company, Perform Now The Zone, that covered it. But that's got to be back in 2011 or 12, maybe? Yeah, I think when I... I think I always naturally assumed, you know, you had the Copa Libertadores and because of being a European football fan, I naturally assumed that there was like a sister competition. Mm. Uh, so I always knew or thought there was something like that. But actually knowing of the Copa Sudamericana wouldn't have been until I started at Perform. And initially it wasn't even the Argentinian league that I was covering. It was, you know, the weird Colombian and Bolivian games that we do and things like that. And that's when you'd note in your match info, like, okay, fourth place in the Apertura season is guaranteed a Comibol Sudamericana spot or something like that. Um, And you'd reference it then. It was a nice, like, tidbit of, oh, they're in the race for, still in the race for a Copa Sudamericana spot or something. So that's when I first recognized it as an actual competition, knowing the name kind of knowing a bit of the format but not too much you just kind of was like yeah it's the south american uefa cup it hasn't had group stages added to it yet it's the it's the traditional format that i remember of the uefa cup when i was young that's the best way to describe it isn't it it's the european it's the equivalent of europe's europa league i just remember when and ollie and i worked as commentators for this company um i still do on some level but many years ago and i remember ollie that you always used to look down those south american leagues and the places that enabled you to qualify for the Sudamericana were just so far down the league, I thought it was amazing. You know, you could still get in the Sudamericana if you finished seventh, eighth, ninth, depending on other things. So I remember thinking it was a bit of a free-for-all. But here we are. The tournament started in 2002. It is the second most pre- most prestigious competition in South American uh, club football. We've spoken at times about how the Libertadores, perhaps, perhaps not in North America, but certainly outside of the Americas, it is difficult maybe to capture to capture a wider audience outside of Boca and River and maybe Flamengo at times. So I think it's fair to say that on a kind of a seesaw of obscure to hipster to relevant of where the Copa Sudamericana is, it is more obscure than hipster. I'd say that the Copa Sudamericana is below the UEFA Europa League, um, probably below the Cup Winners' Cup, the now defunct cup winners cup but above mm. the intertoto cup <laughs> okay so it's not as niche and hipstery as that and it's definitely better regarded than an intertoto cup but it's probably i think on people's radar less than the cup winners cup was and you know football fans of our age probably still know and remember the cup winners cup um, just yeah i went to the last ever cup winners cup final at villa park oh really yeah malaga against lazio it was oh, Nedved and Vieira and stuff like that. It was weird, weird going to Villa Park and seeing that, and then it being the last ever one to to take place. It is weird how tournaments how tournaments kind of die off, isn't it? And they just get quickly forgotten about it in new generation of, of football fans. And also how I think that I think it's true of the Europa League and maybe true of the Sudamericana, but it's easy to be sniffy at tournaments that are new. You see it all the time with the Club World Cup, which isn't exactly new, but the Club World Cup is constantly looked down upon and. And, uh, you know, so things like the Nations League as well, because if a tournament is new and I'm putting the Sudamericana in that bracket because, you know, established in 2002, I do think that makes it pretty new mm. comparatively to, to the sort of history of, of European and South American and world football, which spans, you know, over 100 years in its established format. 
But uh, yeah, I, I just think uh, it's easy to be sniffy at the competition. But as we've seen, and you've seen specifically because you covered this tournament extensively and commentated on the final last year, Ollie, it, it's a tournament that you've really grown to love. And, and it has so many different anecdotes and stories and subplots that probably don't get picked up as widely as they should be. I think uh, you overlook new competitions, just going back to that quickly, in, in the fact that a lot of them seem fabricated for the sake of having a competition. You know, the... the mm club world cup particularly in its current format it it just seems a bit odd because it's generally the european side that that win it the south american side will generally be the second best side in it and it very much seems like a competition made for the sake of having a competition and made for having money but with this it actually seems like a smart move because as as we mentioned i think on the back end of our last couple of pods the copa libertadores is dominated in the last few years in the last two decades almost by Argentinian and Brazilian sides and actually it's important to have this competition to give the teams that drop out of the Copa Libertadores somewhere to go because there will still be the odd big side that Comibol will surely want still on an international platform international cup somewhere that drops out of the group stage and there's also a place for the kind of the the middle order nations in South American football to feel like they they're yeah. getting success out of a out of an international competition. I mean, yes, the majority of winners still have been Argentinian and Brazilian, but you know, you've got winners from Chile, from Peru, from Mexico, from Ecuador, uh, from Colombia. So it it feels like a far more open tournament that spreads more of a competitive environment across South American football, which which I think is massive. Um and it keeps therefore the attention of the whole of the continent on it quite a lot during the competition. I mean, like uh, you joke about it, but it might be the most competitive tournament in South America, just because it's sides from every nation you feel have a chance to win it, even though we are looking at a first time in the competition's history, all Argentinian final and three of the four semi-finalists were all Argentinian, but it still feels like... No, I take your point, yeah. And and like you know, yeah, I, I really I say it on the highlight show that I do. Like it's the most exciting competition on the continent, and I think there probably is. I think there's more of a a shock factor, or potential shock factor in the Sudamericana perhaps than there is necessarily in the Libertadores. You you roughly know who the big sides are, and out of the four semi finalists this year, only one of them was really a bit of a shock. For instance, in the Libertadores, whereas. No one would have had Lanús, Defensa y Justicia, Vélez Sarsfield or Coquimbo Unido in their first ever time in the tournament from Chile in the in the final four of the Comic Ball Sudamericana because there were so many other bigger sides in it and they all suffered shock losses. Vasco da Gama, Sao Paulo, for instance, the Brazilian sides, you know, all knocked out by uh, by the finalists this year. I was half expecting you to have a Coquimbo Unido shirt hung behind you Ollie for those obviously this is uh, an audio format but <laughs> Ollie Wilson's usually got some uh, some intriguing football memorabilia or, or hipster shirts behind him so that Kokimbo Unido shirt Ollie I fear uh, will prove slightly evasive in your uh, in scouring the world wide web maybe on the dark web somewhere you can pick one up I mean it's a horrible shirt both of their shirts are absolutely disgusting unfortunately home and away um, and all you know what, like, I think because I've been over here covering it rather than in South America, it's it's a little more detached this year, I feel, from the competition than I did last year. And Coquimbo sure. Unido, they don't play the as high calibre of football as Independiente del Valle did, which I assume is the first hipster shirt that you're referring to, the bright pink one that uh, that was the best found find I ever had in lockdown, I think, I've been able to purchase one of them on eBay. 
But um, but yeah, no, there a defense Eustacia shirt though. Now, now we're talking. The green and yellow actually looks pretty good. It's a great name for a football club as well, isn't it? Defence and Justice, Defence e Justicia. But before we talk about the actual final itself, Ollie, apart from the fact that this is silverware on the continental stage and clearly for, you know, a large chunk of the clubs that started this tournament to go all the way to the final would be absolutely miraculous, really. And and I think you, you make a great point when you say that it's a tournament that at the start of the tournament, you really don't know who's going to get to the final. Whereas in... The Libertadores, yes, you know that the, the, the money in Brazil, the big Argentine clubs, they're always going to be there and thereabouts. So I think that's a really good element to it. But aside from lifting the trophy, of course, it does give you automatic qualification to the Libertadores for the next year, or in this case, for the Libertadores that will start in March. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, you play in the Recopa final because we saw Independiente del Valle play against uh, Flamengo in the, in the Recopa. So, you know, if you win this if you win this tournament, it's, it's a big, big deal. It's worth a lot. And I think you see as the tournament goes on, you know, they're in very similar way of the Europa League knockout stage. The intensity actually does go up even from the bigger sides the further you get into this tournament. I'm sure, uh, for instance, this year Sao Paulo were knocked out after they came down from the Copa Libertadores in the second round of the tournament were knocked out. Um, and, and I'm sure it wasn't too much of a fuss about that because they were still had the heartache of being out of the Libertadores. And like all big clubs in South American football, that's what they have their eye on every single year. So once you're out of that, it's like, well, we don't care about anything else. But you go further and further and deeper and deeper. And the bigger sides do take this very seriously. We saw it last year. The Brazil- Both Brazilian sides knocked out in the semifinals yeah. were really frustrated and devastated to to not get through. And um, yeah, no, I, I, I do enjoy it. It is very hipstery. And it sounds like you're trying to be a hipster when you say oh yeah well i'm you know i watch and pay an interest in the comical sudamericana and people are like really really i mean but but it's a great trophy it's a nice looking trophy as well i mean you do have to say as well the kind of the ball with the two handles Circular. coming out yeah yeah it's uh yeah i i always think uh, maybe i've just got a really simple brain ollie but i always think football i always think any trophy actually should be some kind of representation of of that sport and so i always like a circular even though i love the champions league trophy but i think a circular trophy for football is always better than uh the one that's not well that's why i love the world cup i always think the couple of Tadoros is a bit of a ripoff of the stanley cup in ice hockey <laughs> i know what you mean and it's <laughs> and that it, yeah. and the stanley cup is the oldest yeah, yeah. uh piece of silverware in world sport i believe and they like knock a ring off and that gets put away and stored away in the in a museum, and and they add a clean ring every kind of ten years or twenty years or something like that. And, and the Libertadores, yeah, it does have that similar look. Whereas this this looks like a new trophy where you've got this uh, this globe at the top, and then the silver handles coming down towards the base. But at the same time, it does look quite smart. It doesn't look like some you know uh, media student just out of university has drawn up a doodle on his pad and gone to the marketing department at Ball and been like yeah guys this is what the kids all love this will look cool and edgy and yeah sure, it's sure. still got a bit of a traditional look about it which i like um yeah it's just a good tournament mate it's a very good tournament to watch it's a shame that the there's just no broadcasting of it outside of the channels that we're able to watch through official combo ball kind of channels you know sure i was gonna say i mean so the final is um this saturday the 23rd i asked you about this on whatsapp ollie uh, remind me it, european time it's about 8 p.m is that right yeah yeah i think that's right yeah uh, Eight so o'clock. listen and if you uh if you dig and, and search around uh, the world wide web you'll you'll be able to find a stream from somewhere but um yeah, it might have yeah. um, some pretty aggressive Argentinian comms on it, but it's you know it's a big the night for Argentinian night. football because 
as I say, it's the first time uh, a Comic Ball Sudamericana final has ever been uh, competed for by two teams from the same nation. Both happened. Which is mad, really. Yeah, but that, isn't that the great thing? Like that shows the variety yeah. and variation you get in this competition, and it's not always Brazil and Argentinian sides squaring off in the final either. It's yeah, it's it's a true continental competition. It, we've had sides from Bolivia make it to the final. Yeah. Bolivia. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Before we give our own opinions on the game itself, Ollie, should we defer to someone with nearly a decade of expertise on Argentine football and a bloody nice bloke as well, Mr. Peter Coates at Golasso Argentina on Twitter? This is what Pete had to say. For the first time, two clubs from the same country face off in the final of the Copa Sudamericana, so that in itself is significant. The dominance of the traditional Grandes in Argentina, of course, means that the fact that it's Defensor Justicia against Lanús, two historically smaller clubs, slightly lessens the impact in the media or outside those two fan bases. But it's certainly worth noting as part of a wider trend this year, that of Argentina's performance in Commonwealth competition. The, the wheels fell off in the Libertadores semi-finals, of course, but Lanús and Defensor Justicia are worthy finalists in the Sudamericana in a year which perhaps expectation was lower than ever for Argentinian teams due to the financial struggles impacting all the clubs. Um, both have needed a little bit of luck along the way. Defensive Justicia certainly had their easier run to Cordoba uh, and even against Coquimbo and Ido in the semis were the beneficiaries of the decision to play the first leg in Asuncion rather than in Chile. Um, while Lanús had to ride their luck against Vélez and the scoreline ended up being somewhat flattering. However, those wins over Vélez Independiente uh, and Sao Paulo have shown plenty of title credentials and I think should see Lanús as slight favourites. Um, the defence can be suspect at times, but there are plenty of goal scorers in the lineup. The eternal Jose Sand remains a threat. Nico Orsini scored six goals, but it's the Lanús youngsters that really excite. Toto Belmonte has been outstanding in midfield. Lautaro Morales in goal. Um, Alexander Bernabe at left back, but the, the real jewel from the excellent Academy of Lanús has to be um, Pedro de la Vega, so he'll certainly be one to keep an eye on in Córdoba. And for Defensive Justicia, the River Academy pair of centre-back Hector Martínez and the classy number five Enzo Fernández are ones to watch, but you can't ignore Brian Romero. Uh, hat-trick in the semi-final second leg, took his tally to nine for the tournament, 12 in 12 in Conmebol competitions. He's been absolutely sensational and credit to Hernan Crespo for transforming a player deemed surplus to requirements at Independiente into such a goal threat in the Conmebol competition this year. Uh, two teams that look to play good football under two young coaches. Defensor Justicia looking to make history and claim their first title and Lanús aiming to repeat their triumph of 2013. So a Sudamericana final to really look forward to. Yeah, some absolute gems in there from Pete, who really knows his stuff, of course. Uh, Ollie, just before we reflect on what Pete says and talk a little bit about the final, maybe, uh, you've got a better scale of this than I do, and Pete touched on it. But that Coquimbo Unido and Defensa Justicia semi-final, the kind of timetable for those two legs was pretty surreal in the end, wasn't it? Because yeah. due to... Due to a combination of, I think, the pandemic, lots of different things that ended up playing both legs of the semi-final within, within four or five days of each other. Am I right? Yeah, and it, it, thankfully it got lengthened, the gap between the two semi-finals. Because, so they, okay. they were meant to play initially on the normal time frame of it was going to be on a Wednesday night followed by the following Wednesday night. 
Uh, and then there was a outbreak of COVID in Chile, which made it difficult in Coquimbo for the game to be played. So it was cancelled very last minute, you know, inside 24 hours of the game. And they said, OK, rather than, uh, you know, you've got league fixtures on the weekend, which we can't shuffle around or anything like that. Although uh, Defensive Justicia, at least their league campaign and um, was obviously well and truly over in the Copper. Uh, Diego Maradona was over for them as well, but the Chilean league mm. was still going on. Coquimbo and, you know, had games to play on the weekend or games to play on the weekend. So it was moved then to the following Tuesday, which is the day before the second leg of the semi-final of Lanús and Vélez Sarsfield. So then you're thinking, okay, are we still going to have the final on like the following Saturday or on the 23rd or, or what's going on here? How's this going to work? And they said initially it was going to be a Tuesday and Thursday first leg, second yeah. leg turnaround, which is unreal. <laughs> absolutely unreal <laughs> it's worth dwelling on that because when i saw that initially that was it It was going to be on the 12th and the 14th the two legs of the semi-finals and i messaged you being like ollie i don't remember any i don't remember ever in my time of watching football for two legs of a semi-final to be played within two days of each other it's just so surreal and especially how you know in the champions league now and it's something i don't really like and i understand totally why they've done it to, to allow more people to watch on television but the fact that they've spaced out those knockout games so much mm. you know in the champions league where you sort of play one leg and then you, you think all oh, right the second leg must be next week and it turns out it's in three weeks time and i really don't like that and so I kind of love the fact that South America have, uh, albeit as a victim of circumstance, <laughs> gone the other way and kind of sandwiched those semi-finals. I just think the memories are so fresh from the first leg that it's great to have them closer together. I don't like what the Champions League's done with that. And um, yeah, it's quite fun to only have four days gap between first and second legs of a semi-final. This is this is very niche, but I had a very uh, young kids football book when I was when I was very young indeed, and. Uh, it was about a team um, entering the FA Cup. It was like a cartoony type book, kid, very much kids book. Sure. And uh, and they end up going to like the FA Cup final. And in one of the rounds, they end up drawing Liverpool. And they basically build this story around the Liverpool side that they're going to play, that they're involved in all of these competitions with all of these replays of games in competitions. So like they're meant to play in the European Cup against the Bulgarian side, which they fly for on the Tuesday. They fly back on the Wednesday to then fly to Newcastle for a repeat of a League Cup game and then have to fly back. And it's all just like, this is why Liverpool were so tired because they've got so many games. And, so many. and it just reminded me of that. It's like, all right, well, we're going to move the game from Chile to Asuncion. So that's a pain already for, for everybody involved, really, especially Coquimbo Unido losing a, yeah. a home leg on home soil. Um, and then we're going to have the game on Tuesday night. Quick jam in, jam in. We've got to force it in in this like week's timescale. But we also have to get it done quickly so let's oh, this games uh, thursday thursday we've got a gap we've got the other semi-final on the wednesday so we can do tuesday move everybody down to argentina game on thursday go it's done and eventually it gets changed to uh to being played the second leg on the following saturday which is a fair a bit more of a gap it's still weird though and it felt weird having a, a copa sudamericana game on a saturday evening uh, mm. but it, it was an entertaining affair for Coquimbo Unido. It was heartbreak after they scored early on through Farfan and then conceded three uh, in before the 23rd minute and then were 4-1 down uh, by halftime and then it was all over pretty much. They, they got a late salvaged goal from Palacios, Lataro Palacios in the 63rd minute, I think it was, but it was too little too late. Um, and this defensive Justicia side, 
after everything that's been thrown at them with things like pandemic with of course trying to juggle the schedule and then for them i'm sure for Hernan crespo it's a frustration to have all of this stuff rearranged as well i mean it, it's annoying for coquimbo unido but it's just as bad they still have to go through the rigmarole of getting prepared to travel or not travel and adjusting sleep patterns and things like that so i know i know pete mentioned there that defensive justicia have probably had a slightly easier run to the final but at the same time it's been a kind of a controversial and, and a frustrating one as well and they've, they've done phenomenally well to bounce back from being knocked out of the couple of Dodoras too. Uh, what an opportunity really for Hernan Crespo on, on this kind of stage. You know, if he could lift the the, the Sudamericana with defensive use, DCA raise his profile a bit further. There's always big jobs going in South America, such as the kind of transient nature of head coaches. So you're looking at me as if you're going to say the words River Plate or Boca Juniors. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's River Plate. It, he is being linked with every big job though in Argentinian football at the moment it's been linked with the San Lorenzo linked with the Racing job to take over from Becca Sese who actually Becca Sese was in charge of Defensa y Justicia when they booked passage to the Copa Libertadores this year by finishing second in the 2018-19 Argentinian campaign uh, which is kind of like if he then goes to Racing it's kind of a little nice story as well there was a manager in between Becca Sese and Crespo but it's still like okay let's see what you've built here now let me take it over and win the silverware again um, but Crespo I think needed this for his managerial career because you look at his path previously and it's not like any he's been anywhere impressive nor has impressed anybody struggled with the Palma youth team did awfully in Serie B with Moderna uh, went to Banfield and only lasted a season and a bit um Obviously, they've just lost the copper Diego Maradona to um, yeah. to Boca Juniors this week. So, at Defensa Justicia, it was really an ability to rebuild with a fairly good squad anyway. I know there's a lot of changes in Argentinian football with the squads year on year. But they finished se- second and then sixth in the Argentinian league. So, this wasn't like a duff side. And they've been in this competition for the last four years. They've been to the quarterfinals once. So, it's it's not a terrible team to be working with. Yeah, and... You know, Defensa Justicia came very close to getting out of the group stages in the in the Libertadores. Actually, I was listening to Pete's podcast um, uh, yesterday, I think, and they were talking about how Lanús are actually that you know they're a pretty big club in Argentine football. If you look back at their history, they won the Sudamericana in two thousand and thirteen, reached the final of the Libertadores in two thousand and seventeen, and lost to Gremio. So this is a football club that they're a big Argentine side. Not just for that reason, but they will be favourites in this contest against Defensa Justicia, you would have thought. Yeah, the the difference between these two teams in terms of their history is that Lanús have a, a, a extended history of success compared to Defensa Justicia, which is very much in like the current five years, basically. You know, they've been around Serie, uh, the second and third division at times in the last 30 years of, of Argentinian football. Lanús, not so much. Um, and, and Lanús is a side that as Pete touched on, is bringing through some incredible young talent. Um, anybody who has watched or seen anything of the tournament will have seen the long blonde hair of Pedro de la Vega running around all over the midfield and both creating, uh, scoring and and doing some of the dirty work as well at times. He's, he's one of those players that seems at this tender age of 18 that he can do anything right now. Um, they've got the experience of Jose Sand, as Pete mentioned, who who certainly does with the, the crop 40? of young... 40. Yeah, 40. <laughs> doesn't doesn't look it at all. And again, it seems to be everywhere. He's creating goals left, right and centre. And if he's not creating, he's scoring them. He's got... I don't know if the youngsters are so good because Jose Sand makes them look good or if Jose Sand 
is being given the opportunities because the youngsters are doing the hard graft and he's using his experience to be in the right place. But whatever's happening right now, uh, Luis Zabaldia, the manager, has got his side in full flow. They're a great goal-scoring side in this competition. Uh, and recently, I think it's important to note, the last two rounds of the competition, semi-finals and quarter-finals, they've played Argentinian opposition. And they've had three clean sheets against Argentinian sides, which they weren't necessarily hemorrhaging goals, but they've lost three games in the previous rounds of this tournament. They lost three of their first five games in the competition, which isn't a great record. Uh, they, conce- wow. they conceded two against the Ecuadorians, Universidad Católica, they uh, conceded four away at Sao Paulo, but they had the victory and they had they ended up going through 6-6 six, six on away goals. And they conceded two away from home against Bolivar as well. But since then, the defence has really tightened up. They've only conceded three goals and they're following five games. As I say, four of those against Argentinian opposition. So adjustments, I think, have been made. And very much a case of better the devil you know with Lanús. Whereas defence at sure. Justicia are the gung-ho counter-attack side. They leave three at the back. They've got some excellent fullback players in uh, Delgado and just trying to find my notes here. Uh, Pizzini as well. Pizzini on loan from Independiente. And then they have this fantastic front two. And uh, to use a Windsorism, who dovetail so nicely together of Walter Boo and, uh, and Brian Romero. And, and, and Romero just gets every single bit of service played into his path. And he's a devastating finisher. At 29 years I mean, of age. Nine goals? Nine goals in eight games. Yeah, it's, for Independiente and then for Defensa Justicia, yeah. It's it's incredible. It's definitely the kind of striker that you would think a Boca Juniors would look at and be like, we need somebody who just finishes like that. Had a hat-trick in the semi-final second leg uh, last Saturday. It, it, the talisman, of course, of their attack, but they play a great free-flowing counter-attacking football which might play into if we go kind of big picture on the game Lanos like to build up and press and have been very good at doing that but it does then potentially leave them available to be exposed if defense at Eustisia can use that pace on the break so I think in terms of a game to watch we're going to uh, to really have quite an interesting affair as long as the whole one game one final doesn't mean that everybody tenses up and gets too close and gets cagey or anything like that. And from what you've seen of the tournament so far, who who do you fancy to win it then? Lanús? I don't know. I've I've been a bit low on Lanús, like I was low on Santos in the Copa Mm. Libertadores. And I just prefer the style of play that Defensa Justicia have played. So I would rather see them. I think this is just more my heart overhead. But yeah, Defensa Justicia to win it, I think. Who knows? I, I mean, watch- sure. Yeah, I was watching. Um, I was obviously doing some stuff for the Libertadores final earlier, and I was watching the two games that Santos played against Defensa Justicia in the group stages. And on both occasions, Defensa Justicia were very attacking and took the lead twice against Santos. And it was only two late goals from uh, from Santos on both occasions, home and away, that meant they lost those two games. And they were so close to qualifying. I remember from the group stages uh, to the knockout phase of the Libertadores. So that was kind of the last time I watch them closely so I haven't seen too much of them in the knockout stage but you certainly teed it up well for uh, what should be well hopefully an exciting final yeah that was you a weird I'll be watching that was a weird group stage just to go on to that that group was very odd because Santos as I say neither of us were that impressed with in the group stage Delphin ended up getting into the knockout stages and the two sides Olympia that we were hoping would play football like last year and then defense at Justicia taking the third from bottom spot and dropping into this tournament 
Like, it, it was an odd one. And I think it's actually mm. probably paid off because wouldn't you rather be a defence at Eustisia side now in the final of the Copa Sudamericana than having been knocked out to a big side in the Libertadores? Of course. I mean, it's always... It's the same with any big tournament when when you have the it, the opportunity to win it. I mean, it's the thing is with... And it's an obsession in European football more than it is in South American football, kind of places in the league or progression in certain tournaments. But the game, historically... And we'll always be ultimately in the fullness of history about trophies because that stays. That stays with you. Not finishing second, not getting to the semi-finals. Yeah, fans can think back on that nostalgically, but ultimately it's about trophies. And if Defensa Justicia could pick up the Sudamericana, well, it's, it's the pretty much the biggest moment in their history. Are you actually going to tune in, yeah. Windsor? Will you be Will you be setting the... I'll be watching, my friend. Right, I'll okay. be watching, yeah. Eight o'clock I'm with looking... a little, little beer in <laughs> the hand. <laughs> why not? Why not? Um, yeah. I tell you what, let's uh, let's play it out with the runs to the final of first Lanus and then Defensa Eustisia, and then we'll uh, we'll give out the emails and stuff at the end of the show. As Sao Paulo, one of the giants of Brazilian football, welcome Argentinian side Lanus to their city. Edge of the area, it's a long way out and it's an absolute scorcher to break the deadlock early on. The teenager. Ball and it's down and in. And Danny Alves replies from the Lanus early goal. The lead lasts just 10 minutes. Face on the right side of the 18 yard box, lifted in and coolly finished by Aguirre. Hanging towards the far post. Sara with the header. Gabriel Sara in the 90th minute perhaps sends Sao Paulo into the next round. That's a lovely touch inside the box by San. Eventually turned into space. In the 93rd minute, Nicolas Orsini surely seals an aggregate victory for Lanús. You get the feeling there's something sensational stirring in the capital Buenos Aires tonight. Will it be the King of Cups, Independiente, or the 2013 competition winners, Lanús? Lovely ball into the box, it takes a ricochet, but Sand is there, and Jose Sand doubles the advantage for Lanús on aggregate and on the night. There's a mix-up at the back there, and Orsini's in! Oh, that is quite spectacular. And perhaps now the tie is put to bed just before half-time. Can Lanús keep their noses in front tonight? and put themselves a spot in the Combibol Sudamericana final. Back across goal, and it's turned in. Belmont wheels away in celebration. He's got two in the box away, Matt, and he's able to pick out Bernabe. Good night, Vélez Sarsfield. Alexandra Bernabe puts the icing on the cake this evening. And the final beckons once again for Lanús. They beat Vélez Sarsfield 3-0 on home soil, going through to the Combibol Sudamericana final 4-0 on aggregate. A big night in Brazil is on the cards. Defensa e Justicia come trying to achieve mission improbable as they meet Vasco da Gama. Watched by the keeper, although miscued off the top of the crossbar and Hashen turns it in and Defensa e Justicia have the away goal they're looking for. Defensa e Justicia do it away from home in Brazil. Another trip to Brazil here in the first leg this time to take on Bahia. Make your own shoes. Ryan 
Romero advancing forward, losing it for a moment. He gets it back from a teammate, and Romero's in behind. 1 0. 2 0. Romero's second, his side second. An easy finish from the penalty spot. Loralda in space, and he's got a man waiting in the middle. Enzo Fernandez is there. He's found. It's 3 1. Just over 20 minutes to go, and defensor Iustitia restore their two goal advantage and have three away goals. Defensor Iustitia will have a 3 2 aggregate lead going into the second leg of the quarter final. Hold firm, and history is made. Defensor Iustitia stand on the brink of their first ever Commonwealth Sudamericana semi final if they can keep their advantage intact tonight. He's got a man in support down the centre, and it's Brian Romero, and it's 1 0 on the night. 4-2 on aggregate. And Defensa and Justicia are through to their first ever Commonwealth Sudamericana semi-final. After a reshuffled schedule and a first leg move to Asuncion, Defensa and Justicia welcome Chilean side Coquimbo Unido to Buenos Aires. Lovely turn by Romero to beat his man. He's got bodies in the box waiting for it and it couldn't be missed by Pizzini. On the chest, scoops it over his head. Romero can't get onto it. He might this time though. 2-1, lovely pass, Romero, 3-1, they're running riot in front of goal, Romero's in behind once more, it could be a first half hat-trick here, it is, 4-1, defensor Iustitia go through to their first ever Commonwealth Sudamericana final. Big thanks to uh, Peter Coates first and foremost, for giving us the audio uh, for that podcast. Of course, big thanks to Dave for diving away from the Copalipsadores and getting into the murky depths of the Common Ball Sudamericana. Just one last fact for you before the final. At the moment, Defensa Justicia have booked a place in the Copalipsadores for next year after finishing sixth in the Argentinian League. Now, if they win the Copa Sudamericana this weekend, of course, the place in the Libertadores will go down to the team below them in the league because they will take the Copa Sudamericana winner spot in the Copa Libertadores next year. Now, the team that were below them in seventh place in the Argentinian league were actually Lanús. So either way, whoever wins the Copa Sudamericana final, both these two teams, if I'm correct, which I'm 99.9% sure I am, uh, both teams will be in the Copa Libertadores next year. So it's kind of a winner-takes-all, but it's certainly being done for the trophy rather than getting into the Libertadores. Remember, of course, you can like, follow, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all good other podcasting outlets, including our host, Anchor.fm. Get in contact with us uh, through email at uh, willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. Get on to David T. Windsor on Twitter as well, at David T. Windsor. That's at David T. Windsor. Or myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. Enjoy the Comibol Sudamericana final. We'll be back with a review of the game uh, on the podcast on Sunday morning. Until then, take care.